Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we start, an appeal for help and support. Yeah, at a time of deep divisions on how do we fix it, we talk about positive ideas that appeal to a cross-section of listeners of different political beliefs and backgrounds, and I think that's something we need. And when we disagree, we have fun disagreeing, and we hope that we show that it's okay to disagree on issues sometimes. So here's the ask. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And go to our website, howdowefixit.me, and send us a message about what topics you'd like to hear more about. On this show, Problem Solvers in Congress, with Democrat Abigail Spanberger and Republican Brian Fitzpatrick in the same room at the same time on the same show. This is the exact time where 100% of zero is a heartbreaking, horrible zero for so many people across this country. The simple perspective I have, I think that both parties are broken. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? On this show, the case for compromise with two U.S. representatives, one Republican, one Democrat, who both have just been reelected. And perhaps surprisingly in this day and age, they both agree with each other much more than you might think. Virginia Democrat Abigail Spanberger and Pennsylvania Republican Brian Fitzpatrick are both members of the Problem Solvers Caucus. That's a group of 50 members of Congress 25 from each party that meets regularly to try to find areas of, yes, common ground. This interview was recorded just before the election, and it's part of a podcast series called Let's Find Common Ground that's produced for Common Ground Committee. I'm the co-host, along with my colleague, Ashley Milne-Tite. What makes this especially noteworthy right now is not just that both of these representatives won re-election at a time when so much was up in the air in this election, but also that Spanberger came back in some leaked audio in a phone conference with other Democrats with some very pointed criticisms of the way her party conducted itself in the election. We'll come back to that in the wrap-up. Abigail Spanberger, the Democrat in this conversation, was first asked about the failure of Congress to pass a coronavirus relief bill. Well, I think we find ourselves talking about a number, right? Like the conversation related to COVID relief, everything that's being talked about in the press by and, and on the White House, the Senate, 
the House, it's, it's, a, it's a focus on the dollar amount that we're going to spend. And with Problem Solvers Caucus, we took a, a, a different tact and said, you know, when you're talking 2.4 trillion or 3.2 trillion, these dollar amounts are just incomprehensible numbers. Let's talk about the programs that people actually need. And the conversations to get to our framework uh, were tremendous. It was incredibly informative. And in the end, we got a program, a proposal that had, from a Democrat's perspective, you know, all of our major priorities. And I would say, you know, from a Republican's perspective, all of their major priorities. And we were able to do it by really talking program by program what's important you know, and, and what's necessary to provide the support back home to our constituents. And for somebody like me and, and many members of the problem solvers, I don't want to vote on a bill that is everything I think we should have if it will never get signed into law. I don't want to vote on a bill and go home and tell people, well, I voted for this and this and this, and you're unemployed and your business is failing and your kids are out of school and everything is terrible, but I voted on a bill knowing it would never be law and I want credit for that. For me, that's not governing. These are desperate times. How do we find the common ground that will not just get a bill in the House, and even if it's a little bit bipartisan, not just get a bipartisan bill in the House, but get one that will go to the Senate, get a vote in the Senate, and ultimately be signed into law and deliver relief? Because during this time of crisis for so many Americans, our responsibility is to deliver that relief. And, and this is the exact time where 100% of zero is a heartbreaking, horrible zero for so many people across this country. Brian, what are your thoughts about this? If we took the same approach to our personal relationships that some members do to Congress, there wouldn't be any functional relationships in our lives. You, you can't live your life in any aspect like that. Um, and that's what's heartbreaking. And I just want to echo what Abigail said, and amen, Abigail. That It's been so frustrating. It's frustrating to see the gridlock in a lot of areas, but with COVID, you know, it bothers us because we we feel the pain of our constituents. It's heartbreaking to see what they're going through. And the fact that the four corners, as they call them, the leaders in the House and the Senate of the, uh, of the two caucuses, part of the problem is when they sit down at the table, they don't personally like each other. And when that's the case, negotiations don't always go so well. Um, we don't have that in our caucus. We like each other. We're friends. We go to each other's districts. We do something called district swaps. We sit together at the State of the Union address. We actually care about each other and want to see each other succeed in each other's districts. Um, and it's just a fundamentally different thing. When, when, any, relation, when, when any mission starts off with good personal relationships, um, that's the key ingredient. Brian, do you get anything done without compromise? You don't. And um, Abigail, myself, and our caucus, essentially what we believe um, is that government ought to function the same way our personal relationships do, the same way our we manage our families and our businesses, that you know, you don't allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good. You, you come to the center, you build consensus, you listen more than you lecture, uh, and you'd rather get the belief that we'd rather get 80% of something than 100% of nothing. And what about in your districts? Do you feel that being a moderate helps you or hurts you in your own districts? Well, it's all about pragmatism. It's about caring very, very deeply about the things that matter to me. And so back home in my district, you know, we I have a, a, a 10 county district. We've got a lot of small business owners. We've got a lot of unique 
you know, agricultural community. We've, we've got everything. I love my district. We've got everything. The more that I'm engaging with my colleagues across the spectrum, uh, the better equipped I am to engage with my constituents across the spectrum. That's a really interesting point. Do you feel the same way, Brian? Absolutely. It's the job of a representative, and this is what the members of our caucus understand, and I wish everybody in Congress understood, that when we, when we cast a vote on the floor of the House, it's not to reflect our own personal views. We have to do the very best we can to be the collective voice of 700,000-plus people who we are their voice. Uh, we're not supposed to be the voice of ourselves. We're supposed to be their voice. And sometimes that's hard because some of these issues are very controversial, and you're only given two options, yay and nay. Um, but that's where our caucus comes in. We do a lot of work behind the scenes, for example, with uh, providing an architecture for a COVID compromise. Um, quite frankly, if we had more members, we would actually be able to drive it ourselves. I was going to ask, how hard is it to be a moderate in Congress right now? Well, everybody likes the labels. And so I think depending upon the issue, people sort of cast me in different buckets. I don't necessarily classify myself as a moderate or a centrist or a, you know any any of the titles i think first and foremost i'm a pragmatist i'm focused on on issues like climate change we have a crisis that we need to address but we can't address it alone just as the democratic party we have to find areas to bring partners uh, uh, you know across the spectrum that there's really a, a difference between um the act of governing and the act of advocating for things. And, and our responsibility here is, is to govern. Let me ask you about that, Brian. Climate change, that might be a tough one for you because so many Republicans are really opposed to doing much about climate change. That's not tough for me. I can tell you that. You know, I'm, I, I'm way out in front on this. In fact, um, one, of the, one of the greatest accomplishments that I've had was I introduced something called the Market Choice Act. It's a carbon tax, a carbon pricing bill. Yes, you're right. It's a very rare thing for a Republican to do. But um, what I wanted to do was to bring together the often disparate interest groups and, and lobbying groups, the, the environmentalists, the labor unions, and the business community. And we put a concept forward um, that funds infrastructure. We all know that we need infrastructure badly. Uh, the question is, how do you finance it? We also know that we have a significant problem uh, with climate change and carbon emissions. Um, and we also know we have great challenges in growing our economy. So we were able to get the business community, the environmental community, and the labor community on board with a bill called the Market Choice Act. It was equally bipartisan, and it brought all the interest groups together. None of them got everything they wanted, but they got 70%, 75% of what they wanted. And I think that's really important because um, it shows that Democrats and Republicans can come together on a carbon tax, a carbon price uh, that actually exceeds the standards set forth in the Paris Climate Accord. And just to add to what Brian was saying, Brian's proposal, Brian's bill, isn't contradictory to other efforts. In fact, can be complementary. And I have a bill that's also wholly bipartisan, and it's focused in uh, the agricultural space in terms of how can we utilize our farmlands and our forest lands uh, as great carbon markets, and how can we bring the strength of our agricultural communities to bear in our efforts to get to net zero carbon emissions. Let's talk about your careers for a minute. You were not in politics before you went into Congress. Abigail, you're a former CIA officer. Brian, you're a former FBI agent. 
How have those careers influenced how you feel about America and what's important going forward? It's a public service career. Um, you know, the FBI, much like um, the CIA where Abigail works, they're just amazing human beings. Um, I consider it, uh, I know Abigail does as well, the greatest honor of my life to serve alongside of amazing women and men doing all sorts of work that most people will never know about. Um, and they're keeping them safe and protecting them every day. Uh, they don't get nearly the credit that they deserve. Um, and I'm very proud. It was, it was the, the greatest job I've ever had and never will have. And I miss the people there. Um, I try to see them as much as I can, those that are still assigned here to DC, but spending your life serving a cause bigger than yourself. I will tell you, I worked 14 years in the FBI, never heard any political discussions whatsoever. Nobody cared um, what party you were registered to. We were all, we all had a common mission to try to protect and serve our nation. So it definitely carries forth um, in Congress because you have a certain mindset about how to, um, how to serve the public and how to get things done. I agree with everything Brian said. The common mission that drove us was the, the task at hand. It was the overarching mission of protecting our country, protecting people we would never meet. Um, and we did that with colleagues who had different skill sets and brought different things to the table. And we had to work together in some cases in these intricate puzzle pieces because of the different skill sets and the places that we were in the world. And, and one of the things that we frequently had at CIA, and I, I worked some, uh, did some joint work with FBI. So I, I, at least for the agents I worked with, this is, was certainly the case. You would sit around the table and talk about, you know, the, the plans that you had, the operations that you were going to be running. And you would try and say, well, what could go wrong? What are you missing? What could make this better? you would plan for the worst case because if you're not planning for the worst case, you're just not even planning. Um, and I think that having the ability to sit around and have people poke holes in your ideas and have people say, well, would this be better? Or have we thought about this? Because it was what kept people safe. Uh, that's a, a very normal experience for some of us. And so kind of, to some degree being able to say, well, I've got this idea for legislation or I want to move forward with this. And when someone says, eh, you know, why not this? Or have you thought about this? Or where people say, well, that's good, but let's think this through further. Like it's a very natural thing. The point that Brian made that was a very good one is, you know, the men and women of the intelligence community, law enforcement community um, do their job every day. And we did our jobs every day with a belief that our work mattered, with a belief that um, we were serving our country um, and, and people beyond ourselves. And I was undercover for the entirety of the time that I was with the agency, you know, and the things that I am, I will go to my grave the most proud about in life are things that I will never be able to talk about. We're listening to an interview with Republican Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Democrat Abigail Spanberger of Virginia, both members of Congress, which first aired on the podcast, Let's Find Common Ground. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And now back to our interview with members of Congress, Brian Fitzpatrick and Abigail Spanberger. Was it a shock when you got to Congress where so often debates are conducted with slogans rather than with some sophisticated grasp that we may have some idea from over there and some idea from over here that we can consider? Well, when I was first campaigning, I had an, I went to an event and this gentleman said, okay, some yes or no questions and fired off some yes or no questions for some policy stance. And that was the first moment where I thought, boy, this political thing is going to be really different from all of my experience. Because it, for all of those questions, I thought there's, there's, this is not a yes or no answer. There's nuance, there's detail, there's context and questions that I have before it's just a yes or no. Um, and, and so frequently that is absent. And as we are voting on bills and there's only a yes or no, you know, we may vote yes or we may vote no, but there's so much that goes into that vote. And there's so many of these things where, you know what, I'm, I'm a yes. I like 80 percent of it. And yes, maybe 20 percent. I wouldn't have put in this bill, but that 80 percent is worth it. Yeah. And I would um, second that, you know, one, one of the things that I love about our, our Problem Solvers Caucus, um, our meetings are very, very substantive. Um, sometimes you can't tell who the Democrats and Republicans are in that room. Uh, we check that at the door. And we're very substantive, and we want to hear from from people of different backgrounds and try to try to get to that best solution. Abigail referenced that in the CIA. That's exactly what we did in the FBI. Anytime we had a time-sensitive crime problem, we would surround that table with people from completely different backgrounds because every one of us, depending on the family we grew up in, where we went to school, pain certain people may have experienced that, that others can't fathom, it all affects the paradigm and how we view a problem and how we, we view the solution to that problem. And the more different perspectives you can get, the best investigative plan we were able to put together. Is it hard for you to be a member of your party right now? I mean, first, Abigail, you were one of the few Democrats to vote against the stimulus bill in May. You've compromised on immigration to the irritation of, of progressives in the party. Are these tough votes? They're, they're not for me because I want to do something. You know, you, you mentioned immigration. Immigration is an issue that is used as a cudgel. It is used as a divisive issue. There, we put forth good legislation um, in the House of Representatives that was very bipartisan, addressing the need for more H-2A visas among our farm workforce. Because if you're not looking at the root causes of, you know, our quote unquote immigration crisis, you can't actually address it. And we have employers here in the United States that want to hire people. We have people who want those jobs. Let's make it possible for them to do it legally. Let's make it possible for employers to be able to find those workers. Let's make it possible for workers to be able to come here legally. You know, and that's just one element. I focused on the agriculture piece. But 
that's a piece we can carve out and address. Um, and it, it passed in the House. We had it was overwhelmingly bipartisan. Um, but it's hopefully we'll do it again in, in the next Congress and it'll get a vote in the Senate. And then when it comes to COVID, I don't think, and this is what I told my constituents, at a time of a crisis, we can introduce a bill that we think is our perfect bill. We can push our priorities as much as we want. But when we are flying members back for 24 to you know 48 hour timeframes, and it's taking five hours to cast a vote because we're taking all of these precautions because of COVID, the fact that we would spend an entire day voting on a bill that we knew would never deliver a dollar of relief to anyone or any business or any anything, to me, uh, was was not utilizing that time. We've listened to both of you agree with each other a lot. I have to ask this question as a skeptical journalist. What do you disagree with each other about? I'm not aware of any. I mean, I'm sure there are, right? Of course. I mean, who agrees with anybody all the time? I mean, I, I think I could tell you where I agree with Abigail on, you know, helping veterans, uh, the, the, um, for assistance to the farmers and the firefighters and, and, you know, national security and all those things. I mean, you know, you look at all the bills that our problem solvers caucus have advanced, there you have the areas where we agree. And that's what, exactly the point. That's what we focus on. So I guess the fact that I can't tell you where I disagree with Abigail is sort of the point. I just pulled up one of those online, how often do they agree websites to see how much we agree or disagree. Um, I'm scrolling through it, but Brian, it, it looks as though we come together on a lot of the major vote categories. But Brian, how hard is it for you to be in the party of Donald Trump, who has really done very little to reach out to those with slightly more moderate views than his own? Yeah, I, I take the, it's the simple perspective I have. I think that both parties are broken. Um, I really do believe that. In fact, that's why I felt um, I found a home with the problem solvers. Um, I don't believe that any one party has a monopoly on good ideas. I believe there are problematic individuals in both parties uh, that say things that are not reflective of the rest of the caucus. That happens all the time. You know, it's certainly the case in the Democrat caucus and the Republican caucus. Quick question for each of you. What do you, Brian, what do you love about your job and what do you, what can't you stand about it? Uh, I love being able to help people. Um, especially people that are in a really dark place in their life, whether they lost a family member to addiction or lost a child to childhood cancer or somebody who's really in a tough spot and they need that light at the end of the tunnel to help them get through it. What do I like least about my job? Um, being the target of a lot of anger over social media. Um, it, it can get pretty ugly and they always tell us don't read your social media feeds, but you know, Abigail and I are human beings. Every once in a while we take a peek and there's a lot of vitriol out there. So I think the the best part of the job and and Brian touched on, on part of this is just being able to have entree into, into people's lives, to be invited into people's experiences, the very, very bad and the very, very good. Um, and to know that when people are telling you a story of something that may have impacted them, that you might be a part of ensuring that the next family has that same opportunity or ensuring that the next family avoids that same heartache. Um, and that's really, really amazing. And what do you hate about your job? Um, <laughs> I'm going to copy Brian on this one, too. 
social media, it's a wonderful thing for sharing, but it really is um, amazing just how um, once you reduce things to a certain number of characters these days, you can just be so simplified in how everything is bad or everything is good. Do both of you agree that there are issues that are being politicized that, that really shouldn't be? Yeah, how about all of them? <laughs> Any issues that, that politicized shouldn't be. I mean, that's, again, I mean, this is, I'm sure, what frustrates Abigail as much as it frustrates me. The, the people that come here for the right reasons and with a good perspective on the job want to fix things. That's it. When we don't fix immigration, people are suffering because of that. It may be great to run campaign ads on, but my goodness, you know, when, when there are people here, Dreamers, for example, Abigail and I both voted for the Dream Act. How can we not fix that? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, be, it's beyond the pale for me that so many of these things can't get fixed. Democrat Abigail Spanberger and Republican Brian Fitzpatrick. Before our conversation, Jim, it's our recommendation. And you have something this week. I have no idea what it is. I'm really excited about this one. It's a book called Inferno, the true story of a B-17 gunner's heroism and the bloodiest military campaign in aviation history. So that pretty much tells the story. It concerns this very colorful character who was always getting into trouble, but also won the Medal of Honor for his, his heroism in those horrific B-17 campaigns over Europe in, uh, in World War II. And along the way, it's a look at how the tactics developed and how brutal the tactics really were in terms of the amazing losses the Americans took in attempting to really get airplanes on bombing missions over the German homeland. It's also written by a writer who I have full disclosure is a good friend of mine and who used to work with me at a popular mechanics magazine, Joe Papillardo. He was our aviation editor at popular mechanics. And Joe is bit on how do we fix it, I think a few years back, talking about space. That's right. And we should have him back again because there's a lot happening in space. But anyway, it's anybody who's interested in military history, aviation, or just a good tale will really like this book, Inferno. It's I'm not going to be out for a couple more weeks, so go to Amazon and pre-order. Richard, before we get into our conversation about the interview, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the Common Ground Group. Common Ground Committee are quite well known for organizing major public events involving politicians and thinkers from both sides of the political aisle. And then in March, COVID came along and their public events had to be postponed. And so they asked me to help them put together a podcast. And the result was Let's Find Common Ground. We've recorded, I think, 16 podcasts so far. And, and the whole thought of this is we really need to find common ground at a time of political paralysis and division. Absolutely. And this episode really captured that. One of the points that they both made that I really liked was this idea that you need to start with a personal relationship. Politics shouldn't come first in every, in every relationship, even for politicians. And Spanberger mentioned going to someone on the other side who might be an expert on something and, and ask them to, she said something like, walk me through 
your view on this. Well, even if you disagree, having somebody walk you through why they believe a thing is really, really useful. You may continue to disagree, but at least you understand the other side's argument and you can treat it more fairly or craft a better proposal that takes those criticisms into account. That's so valuable. You know, so many um, failed pieces of legislation or uh, faulty government efforts in the past have been partially the result of the proponents or the victors not understanding the views of those who they don't agree with. It also sometimes comes from the idea that that victory has to be total, all or nothing. You know, you see this sometimes on the Trump side. You saw this a lot even in the Tea Party days when they were running against Republican incumbents. They thought people were compromising too much. And now you see it from the progressives uh, who who feel that anything less than and you know absolutely burning down the. Uh, old ways of doing things. It's, it's not adequate. Something you mentioned, Jim, just before the interview was this extraordinary comment that's been pretty widely reported by Abigail Spanberger, who spoke at a meeting of congressional Democrats a couple of days after the election and said that she nearly lost her race in her Virginia district because fellow Democrats had talked about defunding the police she said that was a vote loser. And then also she said, talk of socialism, don't use that word ever again. And, you know, she's in a very conservative district, a district that went for Trump in 2016 quite decisively. You know, you would think that the Democratic Party would want people like that, people who've shown they can win over swing voters or Republican voters, and yet... After that statement leaked, she came in for a lot of criticism. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, without mentioning her by name, quoted the language in a tweet. She said, when it comes to defund and socialism attacks, people need to realize these are racial resentment attacks. She's saying anybody who's criticizing my progressive agenda and the progressive wing of the party is really caving into racism. And conversely, uh, on the Republican Party side, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick is, uh, is, is a moderate who has bucked uh, his party on climate change and some other issues. He won re-election easily in his uh, district, which used to be really tough for Republicans to win big majorities. You know, we always talk about, in our last show where we dissected the election, we both agreed that this might empower the moderates in the middle, the compromisers. And we've ended up with a result that could strengthen the hand of Abigail Spanberger, Brian Fitzpatrick, and other moderates in Congress, because the majorities for both parties in the House and Senate are smaller than they were. That could possibly improve the case for compromise and, and bipartisanship. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, this is our optimistic side. I think, Richard, you and I both tend to be a little bit rose-colored glasses. Yes. I feel like this year of COVID has taught me to be a little less confident in my optimistic biases. You know, that yeah. all has all turned out to be so wor much worse than I expected. So the optimistic view is these moderates, these centrists are going to have more clout going forward. The pessimistic view is that the extremist wackos in both parties are going to going to go after them and going to tear their parties apart. The big uh, difference, though, is that the Democrats are led by a moderate politician and the Republicans are led by Trump. For the he, moment. 
But after for know, the moment, and he may not be gone. Well, you know, I mean, he's not going to win. I mean, all these lawsuits and stuff are not going to. No, but he, he, um, he may hang around and still be a real oh, drag on mean. his party. Oh yes, right. You know, he sets up his, starts holding rallies and and sets up his TV thing and radio stuff. That could be a real problem for Republicans. You're absolutely right. That could that's sort of every moderate Republican's worst nightmare. Oh man, I thought we were going to have a really upbeat, <laughs> positive conclusion no, here. Now we're no, it's not happening. Doom, we're in a doom loop. As <laughs> it's how do we? fix it i'm richard davies and i'm jim meggs welcome it's to like the doom loop yeah how do we fix it it's like a plaintive cry our producer is miranda schaefer we're a production of davies content and uh, as always thanks for listening okay yeah that was great hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.